Let us stand, if you are able, to reading of God's word. We're in Luke 17, 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten leopards who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. When Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except for this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Reading of God's word. You may be seated. Be to God. Thank you, CJ. I think of uh, when the early church named Joseph Barnabas, son of encouragement, that you, you, brother, have been a son of encouragement, and your wife, Allison, a daughter of encouragement to many here. So thank you. You know, I think that you, you hear this reading, and there's a very easy temptation to say, you know, I, I knew I shouldn't have come today. Because you hear leprosy, uh, Samaritans, remote village, priesthood. I mean, how much more distant can you get from life in Avon in 2023? And I hope that we can see that whenever there is a miracle in the Bible, uh, a profound healing, that a lot of people will just stop there. Say, well, this is a pretty neat story. I mean, rather profound, you know, what Jesus does for these lepers. Uh, you know, kind of interesting, I, you know, whatever you'd say about it. But to, for us to see that, that healings and miracles, as Jesus performs them, always point to a deeper principle. And we get the principle at the, at the risk of changing my, my normal uh, the way I normally preach, if you look down at verse 19, you say, what's this about? What does Jesus end up commending this man for? Your faith. Your faith has made you well, or really, you know, if you take it literally, your, your faith has saved you. You see, normally you, you work a sermon inductively, that is, you kind of build it from the bottom up and then you make the big point at the end, but I want us to see here that from start to finish that this is a story about faith, about responding to Jesus, in which case this you know, doesn't become just a story about lepers and Samaritans in the priesthood, but comes right into Providence Church saying, what does God want us as followers to recognize? Uh, what's the appropriate response to the grace that he has shown us. So we'll make three moves in this, uh, this passage of the ten lepers. Uh, first, to explore the nature of the need, and then look at the cure, and then what Jesus, how he wants us to respond. So first, the nature of the need. So Jesus is on his way, isn't he, going to Jerusalem, which in itself is significant because we know what he's, he's on his way to do. Uh, that he's a man of great courage, that he's going, following through on God's plan for his life, that he's on his way to the cross, so resolutely he's going. And as he's passing by, there's a group of ten lepers, and they call out to him. And for us to appreciate what's happening here, I think we need to understand the scourge of leprosy in the ancient world. You see, now, most people, there's large, uh, wide-scale immunity to leprosy now, that now we have a, a cure of the ailment, should somebody get it. That it's, uh, but in those days, you didn't know what caused it. Uh, you didn't know about the bacteria that caused leprosy, and you really didn't know before microbiology how it spread. And if you just take yourself for a minute to think about what this bacteria would begin to do, that it would begin to set in 
in the extremities, in the feet, and in the hands, really as the nerves would deteriorate in those extremities. That your body on your skin would develop kind of open sores, that you would have some pus and some uh, you know, residue foaming out, some pus coming out of you. And uh, usually the nose would collapse, and so lepers would often be very disfigured. And so while certain ailments are inside, that leprosy was one that you just couldn't hide, that you wore it wherever you went. And because of this, uh, the nature of it, not knowing about it, that these folks, lepers, were considered both non-hygienic, unhygienic, that, that because of not knowing how it spread, that they were both kind of dirty, but also spiritually unclean, that they were on the outside of what God was doing at the temple. This is why they stand at a distance. And if you read ancient Near Eastern texts or even read the Bible itself, you don't have to flip there, but I'm going to go to Numbers chapter 5 uh, to give you an idea of how these folks would have been treated. Numbers 5 and verse 2, command the people of Israel that they put out of the camp Everyone who is leprous or who has a discharge and everyone who has unclean contact with the dead, you shall put out both the male and the female, putting them outside the camp that they may not defile the camp in the midst of which I dwell. So it couldn't be clearer, right? If you're leprous, it's easily detectable. It's humiliating. You're outside. And if you think that's not bad enough, if you read the Levitical Code, Leviticus 13 and 14, these are long chapters of Moses. They're not short, have to do with lepers, that they were supposed to, if they saw somebody who was not infected with leprosy, if they saw him from a far distance, they had to shout, unclean, unclean. So can you imagine anything worse? Your body wasting away, open sores, outside the camp, declaring your uncleanliness, it was a real scourge. And then what you had to do is occasionally as the leprosy would come and go, you held out hope that maybe uh, that skin disease would kind of go into remission for a time or maybe your body through whatever ancient uh, holistic methods would have been there, maybe your skin became a little bit better. And if you thought you, you, know, you were a little bit, uh, you know, you were okay, you could go to the priest. And again, Leviticus 13 and 14, you read it this week, long stipulations of how the priesthood would look at your skin to make sure that your, you know, your wounds were healed, that the hairs on your skin were not not white, uh, but in fact could, could heal with your normal skin. And only if the priest said, you know, you're okay, were you welcomed back into the camp, you could say back in with the people. Uh, that it was up to the priest to, to make that declaration. Now, at least one of these lepers we know, the hero of the story, has another strike against him, doesn't he? That we get the little line, you'd almost miss it, uh, first reading, verse 16. You know, this, this chap, he was a Samaritan. Say, what's a Samaritan? That a Samaritan was a person who was both to the Jew, especially to the believing aristocratic Jew, who would be both racially compromised, that is, you know, Jew Judaism is not just a faith now, but it is an ethnicity. Uh, so a Samaritan was, was a, a hybrid. They weren't fully Jewish, so they were racially compromised. And because they didn't worship in the temple in Jerusalem, you see, you read the Old Testament, the Samaritans, this group, worshipped at an alternate place of worship called Mount Gerizim. Uh, they were religiously compromised. Uh, if you read John chapter 4, remember that, that great scene with G Jesus and the Samaritan woman, he says, you worship what you don't know, uh, that they're religiously questionable. So this leper, this particular leper, is the ultimate outcast. He's unclean, 
He's disfigured. He's out there somewhere in these remote areas. Unlike the others, presumably, he's a Samaritan. What chance does he have? And now I hope for each Christian, as I'm describing this, there's other parts of the Bible that have strange echoes, aren't there? And before you say, well, I'm glad I'm not like one of those lepers. I mean, that would have been awful to be, you know, outside of, of what God is doing in the temple. I just remind you, I think this passage would explain it clearly, but something like Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. Listen to this. Paul's writing again to the church in Ephesus. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. The diagnosis, as we would come into the world, is a lot like that leper. You're alienated, you're separated, you're unclean, you have no hope without God. We're on the outside looking in. That's the point. Say we're outsiders. We're not unlike this leper when we come into the world. What do I mean by that? So I come into the world and I grow up and I say, well, I don't know about this accountability to God and me being a sinner and needing help from him and relying on his grace. Rather, I just plow through life doing my own thing. Aren't I clever? That's the way I come into the world. We've all come into the world. And because of our rebellion, we're outside. Now, before moving on, I want to draw our attention to, to a little uh, detail here that I hope is not, you know, as they say, too clever by half. But it is an odd instance, notice, that Jesus tells these men to walk to the temple before they're healed. So, you know, they would, they would have spent their whole life to say, well, I, I hope that somehow my skin will get better so that I can go to see the priest in hopes that I can re-enter a respectable society and, you know, be, be, be a respectable gentleman uh, again. But today's not that day because look at me. I'm a, I'm, a, you know, I'm a mess, so to speak. Jesus says, go to the temple. And as they're going, their leprosy is healed. Say, so why do I bring this up? Because it's the exact opposite of the way the modern mind works. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with, with people who say something like this. Well, I'd believe in God if he did a supernatural act of power in my home. You know, I'd believe in God if he removed this uncomfortable thing in my life. If God changed my body, then I'd respond in faith. Say, no. It is the humble faith initially of these men that they start to obey with the leprosy still on their bodies. And I hope some of you today, maybe that, that point lands with you. You're sitting here, you're saying, you know, I, I just have this ailment. I have this chronic pain. I have this, you know, the, the, this is not the body I would have chosen, whatever it might be. And, and you might be saying, you know, God, do something about this. And if you do something about this, God, then my faith will be strong. Rather, what I hope we see, much like Anselm, I had to, I had to reference at least one medieval theologian, right? Yeah, Anselm of Canterbury. Uh, Anselm said, theology is faith-seeking understanding. That these folks uh, listen to the word of Jesus, and as they're going, they're healed. And for all of us to remember this pattern of faith giving way ultimately to real deliverance, sometimes in this life, sometime in the next. Uh, after the first service, one of our widows came up to me. She said, it reminded me of a story of my husband." Uh, we had prayed. He was diagnosed with a bad illness. 
And I was praying fervently that God would heal him because he was a strong Christian. And if God healed him from this illness and spared his life, what a great testimony he would have. Uh, God, would you heal him? To which the husband replied, and he's now in glory, he says, oh dear, I was healed back in 1975 when Jesus became my savior. You see, that's the idea, that if you're in Christ, you've been healed. Our life here can be preserved longer as he would deliver us from the pestilence of this life. But ultimately, when we're called home, that that is the deliverance found of a life lived in faith. Got a call this week, I think. Um, did Dawn take it or Michelle? I don't remember. Uh, but it was a lady who I'd known many years ago. And she said, there's been a bad diagnosis of my husband. He said, he's got pancreatic cancer. He's got a few days to live. Will you come? I say, well, what would you say? What would you say? Follow the Lord Jesus obey his word. You honor him, and as you honor him, even in the dark things and the tough things of this life, that it will give way to real deliverance and reunion. That's the point. So our need, friends, again, I don't mean to belabor the point, but we're like this leper coming into the world. Jesus, ha, that's what, no, I'm gonna, no, what I want to do, and if we take a moment to say, oh my goodness, I'm on the outside. I'm on the outside, alienated, separated, in need of great help on my way, destined to an eternity without him, because that's exactly, I was doing exactly what I wanted to do, which is ignoring God and my maker. So there's the desperate need. The desperate need of the Samaritan leper translates into the desperate need of every human who comes into the world shaking their fist at God and, and, and needing to, to be rescued, which moves us into the second point. What's the remedy here? Uh, did, uh, you, so what, what, what works for them, if you will? What, so is it, is it the priest? Is it just kind of you know, hoping, crossing your fingers? No, friends, Jesus, the mercy of the master is the cure. The unmerited grace of God given by Jesus is the, is the solution to the predicament of the leper. The deliverance is found in the word of Jesus. Now, look at how interesting this is. It's just right here. Just, some people, again, will, will doubt this. They'll say, I'm very comfortable talking about God because God, if I talk about God, I can be a respectable member of society. God deals with humanity in the person of Jesus. Ask yourself this question. Why does the Samaritan return to Jesus in order to praise God? Uh, could he just praise God, you know, on his way to the temple? Say, no, he recognizes that Jesus, the word of Jesus, was the point of the cure. Uh, there's an interesting, uh, fam famous story in 2 Kings 5, you know, remember back from Sunday school, but in 2 Kings 5, Naaman is a powerful man of stature in the Syrian army, but we're told that he's a leper. And the king of Syria sends a letter to the king of Israel saying, will you please uh, cure Naaman of his leprosy. And the king of Israel replies this way. He says, well, who do you think I am, God? I mean, what, what do you mean cure a man of his leprosy? We all know that's impossible. Only, only God can cure a person of leprosy. So you put, you put that together. I mean, could Luke, could Dr. Luke be any more clear about the nature of the person of Jesus of Nazareth? That he is God in the flesh. That God navigates, that is, he rescues sinners by the person of his son. And if we lie to one another, say, well, I can talk about all this, you know, the, the, the God stuff and leave it on the layer of fluff and not get down into Jesus because that becomes embarrassing for me, say that those are not God's terms. It is the unmerited grace of God 
through the word of the Lord Jesus coming on desperate sinners, uh, that's the cure. What a thing it must have been. Setting off along the way with that leprosy still in your hands, and then all of a sudden those wounds becoming healed. What a miracle. How did it happen? One easy word from Jesus. May our church never doubt the powerful nature of the word of Jesus that God gave him for sinners, that that is God's terms to coming right, becoming right with him, uh, not philosophy, but the real man on the cross, given for my life, given for yours, and all those who would respond in faith. So what's our need? We're born on the outside in need of real help. What's the cure? The word of Jesus, who is God's only begotten son. Thirdly, our response. A sad thing, I suppose, Jesus is... Uh, he recognizes that nine uh, respond to this inadequately, don't they? Um, so the one man, this is verse 15, the one of them, one of the men, uh, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God in a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? What happened to the other nine? And as I'm reading this this week, I was deeply convicted. I think at a, a very basic level, what this told me is that, Austin, I am, I am nine times more inclined to be thankless than thankful. Uh, I, I am nine times more inclined to look at the blessings of this life thinking that they are achieved on my own merit or because I've outpaced the others than to recognize that every blessing in this life, especially spiritual blessings, come from my heavenly Father through Jesus. And Jesus is commending this thankful Samaritan, noting the inadequate faith of the nine who were, feel, who were healed physically, but didn't truly get it. So you see, what does the Samaritan actually do? That he turns, look at verse 15, then one of them, as he saw he was filled, he turned, we could say he turned to Jesus. He turned away from religious formality, he turned away from the professional priesthood, the holy men, and he turned to thanking Jesus personally. And that is the call upon every one of us, to turn to Jesus personally. I can picture the 10 there. You say they're walking. And, you know, they start to all be healed simultaneously. Again, what a sight it would have been. And I picture the nine. They're, they're plowing through. And the Samaritan starts to hang up. And he says, I'm going back. What do you mean you're going back? You're so close to, to re-entering polite society. This is, the, this is what you've been waiting for. We no longer have to be an outcast. Just go to the priest. You're cleansed. And you can be a proper gentleman again. I know, but I must see Jesus. I must go to him. I must fall on my face before Jesus, the one who really cured me. Enough of that religious formality. And you see, that is so much of our case today in America. So many seeing the blessings of the person and ministry of Jesus without the proper gratitude and thankfulness for our indebtedness to him for both his mercies and his spiritual mercies. You know, I talk about um, America being a cut-off flower. I think it's a rather good image. You say, what happens when you, you know, this time of year, you say you get a bouquet of flowers and you, you, know, you chop them off to bring them home to your loved one, and they look really nice for a time, don't they? You say, well, aren't they splendid? Four days, five days. How long can you keep them along? But what, 
always inevitably happens is they begin to wilt because they've been chopped off from the root. And so much today, what we see is we go around and say, look at the wonderful blessings that we enjoy. You say, well, like things like a philanthropic spirit and uh, things like general kindness and the rule of law. And we've chopped it off from Jesus saying, well, he's a bit embarrassing. Not that guy, that Galilean carpenter, that whole story of the cross and that humiliation. None of that. We'll just take the benefits. And here is a strong warning to us to not be sucked in to say, Lord, may I not be the kind of person that enjoys your benefits without thanking you for what you've done in Christ, that you've come down to me, if you will, a lowly leper, an ugly person, an ugly person inside my soul and all the nooks and crannies in my heart, the hatreds that I harbor, the mistakes that I've made, all the crookedness in Austin, and I say, unclean, unclean, and Christ enters in, and gives us new hearts. And for that, the church postures itself in a form of thanksgiving, turning to Jesus. Not religious formality, not being good Christian men and good Christian women, and so far as society would applaud that kind of thing, but a real turning, falling down before Jesus, saying, I recognize what's happened here. I've been saved by the Son of God. Now, if you're not a Christian here, glad you're here. I want to go back, verse 16, about this idea of a Samaritan, about an unlikely convert. Who would be the most unlikely convert? I suppose we're supposed to presume that the other nine are Jewish, so they had the Hebrew Bible, they had the traditions, they were expecting a Messiah, you know, they had this great deposit. Uh, the most unlikely of the lot would have been the Samaritan. And maybe you're here today say, well, what is it? You know, I, I'm such an unlikely, an unlikely person to be a follower of Jesus. Can you see that God acts mercifully, not judgmentally, but mercifully in kindness to the outsider? And he says, come, anyone who hears this word, who hears about Jesus right now, we confess who we really are and who he is, and we receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And you can do that even now, today. This gospel's for the whole world. So the Jews said, well, just for this particular group of people that knew the Bible really well and that had this, you know, this kind of tradition, say, no, the Samaritan coming to faith. And as we're going to see in Luke's gospel, this is a big theme, that it's for everybody. Will you turn to Jesus? No more religious formality, but come to him in grateful praise. And so I wind down saying, Christian, may Providence Church be a place that expresses routinely in our prayers and petitions and in our songs, uh, the great gratitude that we have, that we, we praise God for what he's done for us. And then a non-Christian in a world that does not offer mercy, that doesn't talk about our real predicament, that doesn't talk about any real hope that's non-conditional today, and this little story of the 10 lepers to say, you know what, the gospel of Jesus is good for you too, and that you can follow him today and have a life of meaning and purpose and faith and ultimate deliverance. So allow me to pray as Jim and the team come back up. Loving and gracious Father, help us to see that in a story that on first readings they say, well, what do you mean, 10 lepers? Am I going to see them on the you know, corner of Jaycox in uh, Detroit or something? No, uh, but actually those lepers was my problem. That, that's who we all were, alienated, separated, distant from God with no hope. Uh, all I have is a record of all the things that I've done to offend you and offend others. And Lord, yes, I've done some good things in my life, but how in the world does that cancel out 
all the things I'm embarrassed about, that I'm on the outside of your holiness, what hope do I have? Oh, Lord, there is hope in the unmerited grace of the word of our Lord, Jesus, crucified for sinners and raised from the dead in victory. That that's the good news, that I can be right with you through Jesus. One little word. And Lord, for each one here today who'd be feeling particularly unclean or particularly burdened or particularly um, you know, some ailment to see that, yes, sometimes there is healing here, but there is ultimate deliverance like this one, that nine are healed physically, but only one is healed physically and spiritually by responding in faith. And so may that be the posture of our church, Lord. May we not lose sight of what you've done for us, for the time and place in which we live. May we be a thankful people. May the thankfulness to you spill out into our thankfulness for the good deeds of one another. And Lord, may you swell up, well up this truth within each one of us that you might be glorified, that we might be those who fall at your feet in praise and gratitude. May Christ be lifted high. Amen. We sing.